But this episode of Slasher's Podcast just began. I like it. How's it going, bud? Oh, it's it's going well. Holy shit. The last time that you and I recorded an episode alone, if I'm not mistaken, was your birthday episode for Lost Boys. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Usually we have to have an adult in the room when it's just us yeah. two with like the door cracked. What I think is happening here is that Chad has finally run out of shit to listen to at work. And he's like, fuck, I just don't want to be on the show anymore so I can go back to being a fan and listening. Because for those of you who don't know, like we were not like the Three Musketeers before the show. He was just our friend who was like, hey, I'll listen to your show. And then uh, he gave feedback. So I was like, oh, well, do you want to just come hang out? And then it was just one night shows up. He's weaseled his way in. Well, I feel like we slowly left a little bread trail, right? And he's like, oh, that's... That's good. Hmm. Piece of candy. Yeah, sure. Hmm. Piece of candy. I don't Man. mind listening. I don't mind giving feedback. It's literally, I don't mind producing. Literally like James Woods from Family Guy where he, <laughs> they take Reese's Pieces and put it on the ground. Yeah. Ooh, piece of candy. And then we have a big box. And we snatch them up. Scooby Snacks. There you go. I like it. Chad looks like a guy who could get into some Scooby Snacks. Yeah, but he loves his peanut butter M&Ms, right? And his licorice and... Maybe maybe we shouldn't be saying all of the bad habits. Emily doesn't listen. He likes <laughs> He likes broccoli. <laughs> loves broccoli loves his wife and children yeah. very much there you go <laughs> wink wink i mean just kidding so yeah chad has uh, heralded the call of fatherhood and husbandry and we're like fuck that my kid's already asleep what's it matter my wife's on the couch probably asleep what's it matter michelle's fed the dogs everybody's fine <laughs> no fires we'll know about it if there are it's true so this week we're doing it 2017 and it chapter two yeah. wow we're just going to smudge them together. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little bit different episode because really we've already done an episode on It from 1990 where we talked a lot about the book. You didn't unfortunately get to be on that episode, but we've both read the book. So I think this is going to be more about like talking about what works, what doesn't, more like a, almost an Easter egg kind of episode. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like something that translates well from the book to the movie as far as the new movie is concerned and other things that maybe they, they lacked in. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And so the people who have criticized me online can suck a thick dick or I will raw dog their mom. if they Not a tiny me. dick. We're yeah. talking thick dicks thick. here. Girthy. Because I am <laughs> so done of people being like, what do you mean you didn't see it in 2017? I didn't because I wanted to see it before this movie. Like Avengers Endgame was probably the biggest cliffhanger I've had in my entire life. I don't deal with cliffhangers well. <laughs> so I did not want to see a movie where I knew it wasn't the end and then wait two years because at the time the first one was released, there was no guarantee they were doing a second one. Like we said in the weekly warm-up, it was only retroactively they started calling it It Chapter One. Right. It was originally just It, and it had its own self-sufficient ending in case it didn't do well. Spoiler alert, it did very well. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some things where I feel like going from the first movie to the second, there weren't a lot of things that made sense. At least in my mind. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later on in the episode. But uh, for the most part, everything seems to transition pretty well. Yeah. I'd say I give both these movies a high to mid sevens out of oh, 10. Yeah, absolutely. I, I generally go off of what Google critic review. Like, I don't go off of it, but my thought process as far as a peer review or what percentage I give it is pretty consistent consistent with yeah. what they have yeah that's fair right so, and then you look at critic reviews fuck those critic holy reviews shit. everybody wants to be fucking popular and smarmy and try and talk shit on people it's like are you an independent creator then really what are you doing right 
And obviously, there is something to be said about taste, but there's a point of talking about the construction of a movie, the artistry of a movie. But when you're just talking shit, I don't have patience for it. And there's a lot of kids on Rotten Tomatoes who just want... It's basically like that subreddit roast me, but for a right, movie. Right, like, absolutely. Honestly, I don't even go off of Rotten Tomatoes anymore. It's become such a pile of dog shit. Yeah. Well, after the whole Captain Marvel fiasco, and I'm not defending that movie because that movie fucking sucks balls, <laughs> but you should have at least seen the movie to say it sucks balls. Right. It sucks terribly. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I haven't. am so sick of people being like, well, if you don't like it, you hate women. I'm like, well, my wife was a woman. Yeah. Card-carrying member of the Vagina Club. She hated it, too. There's been, I feel like, ample reasons why Captain Marvel is, did really bad, yeah. right? The same thing can be said for other things as well, where us as a society has almost become like, don't offend me, don't leave any negative comments. Otherwise, you know, you're just bashing this for no apparent reason and you're whatever. Like, for instance, I know Amy Schumer, on Netflix, she had a Netflix ep- comedy stand-up, and it got destroyed yeah. by like ratings. And they apparently took off ratings on Netflix for a little bit. Netflix of- is notorious for fucking with ratings, though. Like yeah. the thumbs up, thumbs down, and or everything. they'll like completely erase like a shit ton of these ratings yep. and be like, "Oh no, it's like a five star thing." And you're like, "No, it's not." No, what? <laughs> What's well, one of the things? People are just fucking lazy. Like when it comes down to it, if you want to substantiate your opinion with facts and everything, then we're totally good. Yes, That's absolutely. one of the things that we've talked about sets our show apart is making citations to the monetary value, other films, stuff like that, as opposed to, I didn't like it because I didn't like it. <laughs> Hot dog, you don't say, let me copy that and put it on my what is it, letterbox HD account. Right, exactly. And again, we were talking about this before. Everything's objective. Yeah. Everything. So Or subjective. Is it sub- I don't know how to speak. Well, objective would be like there's an objective truth. My point is I can pick up where you're leaving off. We were talking, one of the attorneys that I work with and I today, and there's an old idiom in the law, which is there is no objective truth in a court of law, which is to say it's all subjective. It's the way you present your argument. It's the way I present my argument. It's the way the judge allows the discovery to be heard. But there is no objective truth. You can't tell me that this is absolutely what happened unless it's on, even if it's on video. Videos can be tampered with, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So I think that's one of the things people need to give credit for. And also, like you have to know who you're dealing with as your critic. Are you a similarly situated person? Do you have a similar education? Do you have a similar love and passion for these things? Because I'll let me tell you, if I put my kid in front of this movie, she's going to give it a thumbs down. Right. Probably right. crap her pants. Yeah. But I thought it was quite competent. And honestly, every single person that sees this film as in, is in a different part of their life. Oh, yeah. Doing different things and experiencing all kinds of things that every single person, it's different, right? Yeah. Just like I, I go on this tangent a lot with people when they comment about different tattoos, right? Oh, and they're so like, mean. well, why did you get this or this or that? I have a full Japanese back piece. Brian, you're not even Japanese. Yep. Yes, I understand that. But I no like, shit. I like Mexican food. It doesn't mean I'm Mexican. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Well, and also, like, especially when it comes to tattoos. Or Mexican, Hispan- Hispanic, sorry. Totally fine. <laughs> I, it is Mexican food. You could say Mexican. Okay. Fine. Yeah, I've found myself in like that. Do I say Latin here? Is this Latin X? Right. I think that that's one of the things that really frustrates me. And I don't know, you know if this is really the forum for it because we're about to talk about a horror movie about a clown. <laughs> but like, I think I really wish that people would look at the intention of what people are saying and not what is said. For instance, like I have been criticized for using the word butt fucking on the show quite a bit. 
as if it's homophobic. And I'm like, that's not. It's like further from the truth. Yeah. Like, nothing further. What like the point of what I'm saying is separate and apart. If you're looking at the motive of my word, objectively, you might find like, oh, well, I guess rather subjectively, you might think that word as a whole has this other meaning. But the word as a whole to me is something that you should shove your finger in. You you literally are taking something that people use like that is so fucking cool. Yeah. And just adding something, an extra flair to it. A sentence enhancer, as Patrick right. would say. Absolutely. So who gives a fuck? Who yeah. gives a fuck? A fuck buck. A fuck buck. I like that. <laughs> Have you ever eaten at that uh, fast food restaurant, <laughs> fuck buckers? Yeah, but I mean, going back around, basically what I was talking about with tattoos, oh, yeah. everybody has a story on when they got their tattoo, where they were, who they were with. You know exactly what you were doing when you got that tattoo. Oh, yeah. Same thing when it comes to a moviegoer's experience. You know who you were with. You know who you watched it with. You know what was going on in your life. Oh, this was this came out then. This is what was happening me with me then. Yeah. So when it comes to these reviews, Rotten Tomatoes, yada, yada, you have these critics who just decide to just blow the fuck up this, this really great movie, in my opinion. And then you have the critic or the, the peer reviews and they're, they're glowing, right? Because everybody likes to step out of their everyday life craziness and just sit down and enjoy a movie, right? I think that the critics also, I mean, let's be fair, they're critics. They don't have fans. They don't have friends. Well, they're sitting there alone. <sighs> they're sweating on themselves. No, they're probably at a screening too, which is stuffy. Like when Chad and I went and saw it, there were a lot of people who were super excited and into it. It made me really happy that this girl to my left, she was gasping as hard as she was laughing and she was having a very interesting experience. I cannot imagine if she was sitting like alone, her having that same time with her friends because her friends were all reacting the same way. Right. I think right. there's something beautiful about film and going to a movie. Like when we do the parking lot reviews, the criteria that we use, is it worth seeing in theaters? Is it worth buying? Is it worth renting? Do you steal it? Do you steal right, it? Right. And honestly, on top of that whole experience is going again when it comes to doing this whole podcast with you is I'm able to come here and hang out with you yep. on a weekly basis. Whereas you go and see a movie, you go see your friends, maybe people you haven't seen in a while. Whereas if you're a critic, you're getting a screener sent to you and you're watching it while you're enjoying coffee in the morning by yourself yep. with your cat. You're rubbing sandpaper on your balls like that <laughs> freak from Human Centipede 3. So I guess in all fairness, maybe cut them a little slack, but at the same time, cut the fucking movie some slack. Yeah, I think this one has been, or chapter two has been pretty damn well received. But let's get into some of the trivia for both of them, I guess. Yeah. Do you want to see both trivia and then just get into statistics? Yeah that, yeah, that sounds good. So the one thing I really am excited about is Andy Machete talking about a supercut of the movie, which we'll obviously get into more when we talk about it, chapter two. But if you see anything online, you should definitely support that idea because I don't know, do I speak for you, Brian, when I say the amount of Blu-rays that are advertised nowadays where it's like, okay, here's the movie and like one deleted scene. I'm like, why right, would I spend 30 right, bucks? Right. But if you're not only going to give me deleted scenes, but an alternate cut of the movie and new filmed footage, that is worth my time and money, dude. And honestly, I don't, me personally, I don't mind director commentary. Yeah. I enjoy it. Some people are like, nope, I don't like listening in while I'm watching the yeah. film. There's too many things going on, which I can understand. Not the first time, but subsequent yeah, viewings for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I've heard multiple people tell me that midsummer the extended is amazing oh my god they're the most patient people in the world. they're probably i high. honestly i honestly feel like i can probably watch that a second time yeah just a second time it's not something where i'll watch it multiple times but 
for that ex- extra experience, I would do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an aesthetically pleasing movie at the very least. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> I'm realizing that all of my trivia is pretty severely like linked to the movies. The origin of the sequence with Pennywise dancing was shot and then scrapped. And that's a scene that we shot in the 1600s. And then they decided not to put in the film because it was confusing. And that people want a little bit more and they give it away. And it's like a magic trick. So Andy Machete was talking about going into the history of Bob Gray and all of those things. Just trying to avoid it being so heavy handed because the mystery is right, kind right. of the fun of it. And honestly, without having read the book, when you say Bob Gray, not a lot of people are going to understand who the fuck that is. Yeah, it, 100%. I don't even think that Stephen King really knows what he's doing. That's one of the things. Like the character has so many faces and so many identities. It's a right. shapeshifter. The fact that it is nondescript is what makes it terrifying, right? I could tell you another clown that has an amorphous backstory that's pretty popular. The Ronald Joker. McDonald. Oh. oh. <laughs> but you know, like the Joker even says, like, in thinking about my history, I've always thought the best option is multiple choice. Yeah. Right? Agreed. You're talking about a guy where to know what's going on is comforting, right? Like even with that Halloween remake that Rob Zombie did, you're like, oh my God, he's a fat abused boy. But it's kind of comforting because you're like, oh, it's just a fat abused boy. I can kick a fat abused boy down the stairs. But if it's like an embodiment of the personification of evil, it's a little bit harder to kick down the stairs. And same kind of thing with Pennywise, which is why I think that the ending of the whole book with giant spider monster thing is pretty dope. Hold on. You just said personification of evil. Yeah. What creature did we once upon a time talk about? Not so... In the past, that was a personification of evil that ultimately won huh, in our cryptids. Oh, the Wendigo. That's interesting. Stephen King. Pennywise could essentially be in a, Wend- a Wendigo. In a lot of ways, because a Wendigo is a shape-shifting cre- or a character. Hmm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I feel like a skinwalker is probably a bit more appropriate, but I definitely Yeah, I was them. thinking that yeah. also, but I mean... Fuck. Why not both? That's a Why not a skinwalker that turns into a clown and a Wendigo? Boom. Loophole. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right. So in 1993, Stephen King was talking about how he distinguished thriller movies and horror movies. And he was talking about horror novels were meant to, quote, gross you out, which he admitted that he was actually averse to doing. And he says a thriller is a little bit more high class than that. You can see that it is clearly a horror movie in his perception because right. it is in the book. There are so many instances of just playing gross out. Did you get that from either of the movies? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's not so much a thriller aspect when it comes to, I hate to talk about it without actually delving into the movie because I feel like I'm going to give stuff away. But like, is it Hofstetter? No, who's who's Patrick one of the bullers? Who bullers? Who's one of the bullies? The one that gets who's like jerky, jerky on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's Hofstetter, right? Exactly, exactly. So when he's in the sewer, right? That's it's you don't get that like suspenseful. It's more of like that slow kind of horror esque yeah. feeling, right? Where you're like, okay, I know something's gonna be there. It's gonna be Pennywise. It's not like you're waiting for that jump scare. Um, yeah. does that make sense? It's how, not if. Right. There's exactly. no question he's gonna get attacked. It's how he's going to get attacked. Yes. Yeah. Did you, and jumping ahead, sorry. Did you notice that he had blood all over his face? Did you just like make out with a zombie or something? Maybe it was, I don't know. There's lots of things it could have been. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, I was about to say. So one of the things that King says about the appeal of reading horror literature, he says that it's forbidden. And he says basically, quote, you're saying to somebody, come with me and I will say things to you that no one else will say. I will show you things that nobody else dares to show you. 
Yeah. Damn, like, dog. Like, why are you so dark? Yeah, like creepy kids having sex in the sewer. Oh. <laughs> At least they only had sex in the sewer and not like when they got out of the sewer, then going back into the sewer, and then when they're older. I feel like the element that it only happens once is kind of relieving. But I mean, it's just ugh, it's so gross that like, you know, I don't I I've tried to rationalize that part so much. I, I can't. Nope. Honestly, I just want to erase that from my memory, but I can't. Thanks. What's great is they all erase it from their memory and then they terrifyingly remember when they're smooching. They're like, wait, what happened? I had sex with all y'all uh, in the book. That's so weird. It's so uncomfortable. Super gross. But right now I'm rereading The Shining and I can yeah, tell I got to reread that. How many pages is that? Or how long is it? Super it's, short comparatively. It's like 12 hours or something like yeah. that. Okay. So in rereading it, the things that make me like feel uneasy or scared are not the horror elements. It's like Jack talking about having an income for his family. It's like the real life stuff that's yeah, happening dude. to you now. Fuck that. That's terrifying. Yep. And so when it comes to like it, the gangbang is like fucked up and scary because it's like kids could be doing that and spreading diseases and getting pregnant. Essentially, it's the the basis of kids. Oh, God, that movie's so fucking scary. <laughs> that's a fucking terrifying movie. Yep. <laughs> Let's move on. Oh, my God. The worst horror movie we talked about on this show. I'd rather watch Event Horizon 50 times than watch kids again. Right. <laughs> okay. So we're moving on. Original sequence. If you fuck. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Shall we get in the statistics for the week? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Absolutely. Boopity boop, boop, boop. Me. So, statistics. The budget for the 2017 version, $35 million. The budget for the 2019. It's like doubled. A little right? more than doubled, yeah. It, there aren't hard numbers out, but it's estimated, and the, the most consistent estimation I've seen is $79 million. Yeah, it shows, it shows promise and growth. Yeah. Like this dick. <laughs> so, <laughs> God damn it. in the domestic release of 2017, it made $327 million. And then worldwide, it made $700 million. In the opening weekend of this one, it already made $91 million. So it's already made its money back. Probably not all the advertising yeah, money absolutely. back, but still, I mean, you're talking about a tremendous amount of money and it's only going to keep going. Because like, right. what competition does it have right now? It's it's very limited on competition. From what I saw, there's the Ad Astra, which is the Brad Pitt space movie. Blech. I'm not exactly sure what that's about. Uh, Are you familiar? It, no? Tommy Lee Jones is his cranky dad. Who cares? Okay. You have Goldfinch, which is apparently a really great book. Michelle was raving about it. One of her favorite characters is like a Russian dude who does something or another. It's a book. And she told me to read it, and I haven't read it because I'm an awful husband. But I will eventually. I love you, babe. I'm so sure. <laughs> and after Goldfinch, you have Downton Abbey, which is English something or another. I'm not really sure what Downtown Abbey is. So you're talking about in the month of September, right? Because you also put down Rambo Last Blood, which just come out at the end of the month. You terrified me. I thought that it was already out, and I was like, holy fuck, I'm, there's no way I missed okay, for last one. So oh I, I typed in on Google September 6th uh, opening movies. I think it's the 26th is probably why. Oh, maybe, like maybe that. that's it. I don't know. They drew first blood. Oh they drew God. last blood. I haven't watched a single trailer for it. You can't make me. I'm just going to watch the movie. I don't care. Can we please do a Rambo history? Or like either that or... It is a slasher. He has a machete. We can literally watch all of them. Up until we go and see Rambo Last Blood. I really like that idea. <laughs> if you like the idea, make sure to let us know on all of our social medias because it is very important to me the that first, we do this movie. The First Blood Gauntlet. Dude, <laughs> what do we call that? <laughs> I don't know, but it's going to be amazing. It's because that movie series has like the best naming ever. So it's 
First, first Blood, blood Rambo first, 2, first, first, first Blood Part 2. First Blood 2. Oh, no, it's right? Rambo, First Blood Part 2, Rambo <laughs> 3, then Rambo, and now Rambo Last Blood. Which I think is great. Like, the first movie essentially is a hobo walking into town, and the sheriff's like, fuck you, get out of my town. He's just lucky he doesn't get cornholed. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> he has a perky little butt, though, doesn't he? I don't know. Something about them taking a fire hose and squirting the fuck out of him. Yeah. Just... Ugh, it's rough. Yeah, dude. <laughs> right around that area, you're like, uh, race relations. Yeah, and stuff, no kidding, and no kidding. Hierarchy right? and classism. And then he takes a rock and he kills a guy off a helicopter. So dope. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, the Bruce Willis when Justin Long's like, you kids, do you see that with, the, with a helicopter, with a bike, with or, a motorcycle or something, or like I think it's a car or something. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking with awesome. a rock. Well, like, I mean, let's talk about it. Like Bruce Rambo's, Willis. but Rambo. Like John Rambo kills John McClane, and then how come John McClane and Rambo haven't gotten together? Not like as in like a like romantically. A I would love that. <laughs> That's that'd be a great plot twist. The reason that he and Holly keep fucking up and, and like, ruining their relationships because he just wants to slurp some dick. He's getting that secret sauce inside, dude. Why not? And that's why Rambo never finds true love with that little girl. You know what? The little Asian girl whose necklace he's wearing. She had a dick. <laughs> oh no. We never see video proof she doesn't have a dick, and there's no shame in that. They both lived in a repressed time. In 2019, we need to do the movie where they're finally out and proud. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> so that, that touches into it. Chapter two, we'll talk about runtime for the first one, two hours, 15 minutes. Runtime for the second one, two hours, 49 minutes. Very different scenario. Yeah, absolutely. But at the same time, with seeing in the theaters, I feel like I get sucked in a little bit more. A lot with the giant more. screen. There have been times where I haven't been fully into the movie and I'll look at my watch. Oh, yeah. I'll be the first to admit it. I'm like, uh, he has a smart right, watch for those is, of you who don't know. What yeah. is going on here? It's a little Fitbit. It's not one of those fancy Apple watches or whatever. You could still get my dick pics on it, right? Well, <laughs> <laughs> my tiny penis on a tiny phone screen <laughs> or watch screen, whatever. Right, right. So with two hours and 49 minutes, it's, it's close to that like mm, do I really want to make it because that is essentially a third of my day yeah right I mean and I don't have kids so <laughs> well a third of your free time for the day to be fair Brian yeah. knows what math is everybody it's yeah, but I totally agree because if you think <laughs> you think of your day in thirds there's not nine hours in a day <laughs> what get the fuck out but it discourages repeat viewings and so that's one of the things I'm actually kind of in- excited about when it comes to machete trying to do a supercut. yeah because in a giant thing, you could splice it up in different ways. And also, it makes it an event. Like Chad and I were talking about, you guys have done it, I've done it, where it's the, you know, all of the Lord of the Rings directors. Oh, cut it's amazing. It's you do it amazing. once and you move on. But I'm not going to watch just it chapter one. I'm not going to watch just it chapter two. So, really, the three hours doesn't bother me. The fact that all together, it's already over five. Right. So, that's kind of my issue. But in this one, I think. If it wasn't the way that it's cut up so much, I would be much more reluctant to ever watch it again. But they did a really good job with the narrative of the movie, making it such that it It feels a lot breezier. Right. And it also, again, going back to what I was talking about before, when it comes to transitioning from one to two, they have a lot of stuff that carries over. So if you were to watch from one to two, it's almost like one seamless movie. Yeah. Right. You can actually probably edit the beginning and edit the ending yeah, of the exactly. first and the second and just have one continuous Because well, it even has like the, them holding hands and stuff, so you could even cut a little bit of time in a yeah, supercut. Yeah, that'd be cool. Hell yeah. Get that shit over with. Directed by Andy Machete, not 
his wife, Barbara. His sister, Barbara, is the casting director. Coming uh, to get you, Barbara. Almost, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Both <laughs> of them. So Andy was talking about how he is currently attached to produce an adaptation of the 1981 Stephen King story, Roadwork. And he has said in multiple interviews that he's interested in bringing The Jaunt, which is a short story from the skeleton crew, to the big screen. Did you know his two biggest concerns with doing this movie were, one, if Pennywise would be scary and captivating in the scenes, and two, if the Losers Club would be credible as friends. I think that is such a great way of putting it. These kids get along in a very meshed way. The kids, I think, do that so effectively. And I think when it comes to the adult versions, they get an easy out because they don't remember each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And with them as children, I feel like more so in the 70s, right? It was in the 70s or 80s? The what? original was set in the 80s. Well, the as original, original be yeah, in the first one, 2017, the, it's 80s. 2017, it's in the 80s. In the 80s, you know, I was a little baby child, so I'm not really sure what was going on then, but I feel like... You were suckling some social, teats, right? The social population of high school maybe would be a little easier than it is nowadays as far as having people of different backgrounds kind of mingle with each other maybe not everywhere but i feel like more so back then than now for sure in the flashback or the original setting it you see the references to nightmare on elm street right yeah so the original nightmare on elm street came out before it did and so one thing that i had to keep biting my tongue when we did the 1990 it review was I want to talk about this. There are a lot of people who point out that Pennywise is in a lot of ways very, very similar to Freddy Krueger. Yeah. We just did a, a Wes Craven retrospective. So I could totally see that. I don't think that he's a ripoff. A lot of people try to paint it like that way. But you're talking about a 1,138-page book. There's no way that Stephen King went to the movies, saw Freddy, and was right, like, oh, right, okay, right. let me just redo this entire book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But it's almost impossible not to have a carryover from Freddy Krueger. Yeah. Right? It's just because these are two huge characters within a genre that happen to be around the same time. So, And they're both amorphous. Like right. Freddy could be everything from a phone to a guy to a car. And then Pennywise can be a werewolf, can be a mummy, can be a giant bird. There's Wait, a- werewolf? He wasn't a werewolf in the movies. He was in 2017. Uh, Don't get tricky. Of, kind of, uh, sort of. Yeah, he Not was. totally. It bothers me too. Okay. I, I'm, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing is like one of my all time, probably my all time favorite, like pretty much straight horror movie. Right. And I would rather have had The Werewolf than that reference. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Written by <laughs> Stephen King. Who did the screenplay? Do you like how I did that? I saw that in the notes. I was like, hold on. That's some cutesy shit I didn't put in there. <laughs> Chase Palmer and Corey Joji Fukunaga, quote, and others, according to IMDb. Oh, oh, neat. Okay, others. Hmm. My favorite of all of the writers in, in the industry right now <laughs> and others. Oh, joy. You don't say. It's a smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. Right. And then the sequel was Gary Dauberman, which, I mean, you know, Gary, our old pal Gary. <laughs> and others. Yeah, right. And <laughs> I'm looking at his, he did The Nun, Annabelle Comes Home, Annabelle Creation. So you're like, oh. Seems neat. like a lot of flops. That guy. Oh, he also did Blood Monkey in 2007. not blood money blood monkey holy shit can we do this movie this is the dumbest looking thing i've ever seen oh man hold on let me check it out oh it's got the cute little boy who tried to be john constantine in that show that failed oh poor little bugs but yeah we might be able to do that movie just on name value alone 
Let us know if you want to hear it. Slasherspot oh, at gmail.com. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Music, Benjamin Walfish. Since the mid-2000s, he's composed and contributed to over 60 films, Hidden Figures, Blade 2049, and Shazam. Yeah. Did you see Shazam? No, I did not. You should. Is it pretty good? Yeah. The kid who plays Eddie Kasparak in it. Uh, is is in is in yeah. Shazam, right? He's yeah, great. Yeah, I read that. That kid's super charming. I really like oh, him. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He definitely not a saying that the the adult version lacked. He carried over a lot in what Eddie had in the first one, but I feel like the kid shined a little bit more. Well, here's the problem. So in the kids stuff that was shot for the new one, the director confirmed that they did de-aging techniques on the kids. So they de really because puberty hit those motherfuckers like a brick truck on fire. So they de-aged them with on the face. You could see some of the textures don't match. It's pretty clear to me that they made Ben fatter. The kids seems to have lost weight. And they also did the pitch of the voice. And the person who suffers the most is little kid Eddie. You can see his lips just like never match. Oh no. Super confusing. I didn't pay attention that much. Yeah. That bothered me because he was he was a showstopper kid in the original. I, I when I was watching it chapter one i was so frustrated because i was like why the fuck didn't they switch finn wolfhard with that kid because that kid was so much more beep beep richie and finn was more like woo woo that kid is just he's not doing the crazy accents and stuff like that sure he, he, had the he literally name, did but... like one thing in yeah, the first dude. one and that was it and that was it right and jumping ahead like with the second movie obviously you you have somebody that you're trying to translate to a career that somebody would have now. He can't be a DJ because DJs, no offense to people on the radio, but it's not like it's a blossoming career. I thought he was going to do a podcast, to be honest with you. A little, action- tap, little tap on the back there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're kind of riding the crest of the digital millennia. You know, no big deal. But uh, I liked his work as a stand-up comedian. Yeah, I thought that it was absolutely. Fun. Well, it, it translates better. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I have a gripe about it, though, which we'll get into. Makeup by Alec Giles, Gills, Giles, Gil, Giles, Alec Giles, Gills. He did the Predator. You are one ugly mm, motherfucker. Right, Jurassic World and Alien vs Predator Requiem. Just a few. Requiem for a dream. Us to us. I literally watched Requiem for a Dream and then Donnie Darko one after another. Oh God! And I felt like the most fucking morose person ever dude i really hope that you <laughs> detoxed after that and watch something with cuddly bunnies jesus christ that sounds like you need methadone after watching yeah those probably movies. probably jesus. and then for the next one tom woodruff jr what did that motherfucker do basically everything that alec giles was in he kind of is like the supervisor for makeup special effects he was an oscar winner in 93 for the 92 film little movie called alien Z. don't get it twisted <laughs> Also, Demolition Man, because Wesley Snipes with blonde hair. Or Platinum. I think it's blonde. (laughs) Marcus Venus. He's so good in that movie. It's so frustrating to me that he's a crazy person now. Did you? So have you seen the thing about Blade? Have we talked about this on the show? No. I think it's Blade Trinity. He was such a pain in the ass to work with. He refused to open his eyes during a scene when they were filming. So if you look, they digitally, and this is, what, early 2000s? made eyes on top of his eyelids so he could blink and look around because he was (laughs) such a prick. And then he was like, oh, I'm totally down to come back and play Blade now that the Marvel Universe is so popping. And they're like, actually, we're going to go with a guy who's won an Academy Award and hasn't spent time in federal prison. Sorry. Awkward. Everybody gets crazy when they get lots of money thrown at them. Look at Nicolas Cage. I'm just going to say, here's the thing. White kid who's a Coppola 
doesn't do jail time for the same thing. We live in a fucked up society. <laughs> Moving on. Nicknames. Snicknames. Dick names. Prick names. We're talking about the Losers Club. Jessica Chastain. Sorry, Chastain. Chastity. And Sophia Lillis as Beverly Marsh. So for her, obviously, other than calling her Ginger, right? Which is, just seems so bland. I feel your January embers sounded pretty good, so right? So romantic. Right? Jesus exactly. Christ, as my I, heart burns there too. <laughs> as Ooh. I look lustfully into Jake's Seriously, eyes. the new recording setup where we're looking face-to-face instead of <laughs> looking at a camera on a tripod is way weird. <laughs> looking at this tripod. Oh, hello. <laughs> Bulging out of your pants there. But... Literally. So, did you know that the girl Sophia actually specifically mentioned that she wanted Jessica to play her? In? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. I really Absolutely. liked that, and as well as Finn, right? Yep, that's he, the other big he one. He totally called wanting to have Bill Hader. Yep, but yep. I actually listed all the kids, and I think that the ones that the kids picked that aren't terrible. I think they're actually pretty good. I think the budget of courting they could have done it. So I totally agree with you. James McAvoy and Jaden Martell played Big Bill Denborough. I like yours, Stuttering Bill. Yep. Did you know who he wanted to play him? Mm-mm. Christian Bale. I feel like I, I you know what? As much as I like Christian Bale in certain films, there are others where I feel like he is almost too severe, somber, too yeah. very much into character. Not necessarily saying that's a bad thing because somebody as an actor should be fully enveloped into the character. Yeah. But yeah. I think he's I can't the right age for it, but I don't necessarily like him as the role. Right. I feel like I take other experiences of him in other movies. You mean and, like when he's freaking out on the set of Terminator Genesis? But that's him or, being... No, ter- excuse me. Sorry. Terminator Salvation. But I that's him being up. himself. I'm talking about other characters of who he portrayed in other movies. Oh, okay. And then taking that into account with what he does here yeah. as being Bill. I can't imagine the ex-American psycho being stuttering Bill. That's just me. They even mentioned Bill has like a paunchy belly and stuff like that. He doesn't have a six pack and a facial mask. And he also has a full head of hair. Yeah. So it drives me crazy. Yeah. I haven't talked about it. You know, it's way less embarrassing to have no hair than that ponytail from the 1990 version. Right. Right. Exactly. So we move on to Bill Hader and Fielden Wolfhard as Richie Toja. Trash mouth. I think it's perfect. It's in the book and it definitely speaks to the character. Although at the same time... This may be a little bit of a gripe, but I feel like how many times did they call him Trouch Mouth? I think only once. Once? Yeah. Twice? Think, yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Well, and there's whatever. one beep beep Richie in all of the right, first exactly. one. Right, exactly. And then exactly. She, Jessica Chastain says it in the second one, which makes it weird because it's like, are you referencing Pennywise? Because none of you kids said that to me. Yeah, exactly. Versus the book, Jesus Christ, it happens so many times. You're like, okay, enough. Well, beep I beep mean, to your beep beeps. So many times he was being a vulgar, offensive racist. Yeah, and dude. Anytime that would happen, that's when they'd say beep beep. So essentially, it would happen every two seconds in the book. Oh, did I tell you I taught my daughter to say it? It's pretty funny. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'll have to hear it. She'll chase me around just saying beep beep, and I'm like, I, am I allowed to get a word in? Edgewise, <laughs> have some respect for your father. I like it. So uh, apparently, Bill Hader had read this in high school and watched the miniseries in middle school. He had only seen it chapter one twice by the time they started filming. Once in theaters. And once on the flight to Toronto to film the movie. Why? Because it was just on the flight. Wow. I was very surprised at that. Yeah, that's interesting. But he does a great job. Yeah, absolutely. I think he killed it. So his first shot they recorded was him hitting the gong. And the last shot was him getting the flyer in that one scene. We won't get too far into it. But if you know what we're talking about in chapter two, it's kind of a weirdly poetic way of going about it. Yeah. To have done everything, but then make that that very specific change in the character. Right. Be that significant in the filming was cool. Hater acknowledged that it was his idea to do the thing reference, 
but only because there was already the idea to have the head turn into a spider. He said on set, oh, you mean like the thing? And so he used his phone and went on YouTube and made sure to find the exact specific. Right, right. You got to be fucking kidding me and do that. That's super cool. That makes me really happy. I guess that's a spoiler, but whatever. I mean, we're going to have to get into some of them. Yeah, absolutely. This is something I really want to touch on. Hater is super refreshing. As a guy who kind of is a little guy success story, who was like the background character who ends up becoming a leading man who I think cumulatively right now he's nominated for 21 Emmys oh, between awesome. Documentary Now, which SNL. is fucking amazing. Barry, which is fucking amazing. And is he, he still doing, doing... He's not doing SNL anymore. No, right? he's been off for a little while. Okay. But, but that's one of the things people wrote him off when he finished. Like, oh, so you're just going to throw away your career and you're like... Dude, no, Barry's no. killing it. It's so good. It's fucking great. And it's amazing to see this guy and he was talking about that only after like finishing SNL that he's realized to confront his anxiety and he's put out videos and stuff that have kind of become viral about talking to kids about just confronting your anxiety and stuff. And it's so cool to see a story like a bastion of mental health yep. from a character like this who you could see a lot of analogous situations. And I really hope he does more dramatic work because I thought he did really well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then he was referring to the length of the book and he's like, I forgot it was 15 million pages long. <laughs> that is a fact, which I totally agree with having read it recently. Isaiah Mustafa and Chosen Jacobs as Mike Hanlon. Did you have one for this? I couldn't think of anything. Honestly, with the first movie, he wasn't in it a lot. Did it seem strange? I don't feel like no, he Mike was, had a lot of camera time. At all. He's pretty which is really strange. In both of them. I mean, you call him Rufy because of the second one, but I don't really like what that <laughs> connotates. Right? But he really The librarian? Does. Yeah, there we go. Is he sexy librarian? Uh, very much so. He tells you to turn those books in on time. You worried about his late fee? How about this? What's fucking crazy? That is the guy that did all the Old Spice commercials. That is kind of crazy to think about, yeah. Right? Because you look at him in chapter two, and he's got all his facial hair, he's got long hair, or longer hair, whereas in like the Old Spice commercial, he doesn't have a shirt on, and he's like very suave, and he's oh, yeah. riding a pony. Like, you know, he campaigned really hard to be Luke Cage. I'm like, dude, you're fit. You're fitter than I am. You're making But you're not Luke Cage. You're not Luke Cage. Nah. Fuck that, dude. <laughs> Sorry about it. Like, Terry Crews is barely Luke Cage. Come That's on. That's true. I think the librarian is a fine choice. Chosen Jacob said that he wanted Chadwick Boseman to play him. Yeah, if if money were endless, I think yeah, exactly, do it. exactly. But also, I don't like. I don't think that would interest Chadwick because it's like he's such a bit part in this. It, it's not good enough. Right. I'm sorry. Like I, I really had a hard time with that. If you're gonna have him in it all, like I think that what they needed to do consolidate. And if you're gonna lose a character, you take Eddie, you consolidate him with Mike because yeah. if you've read the book. Eddie is like the compass in the sewers. Mike is the one who knows about the turtle. You combine that into one person. And right. plus that way you're not sacrificing your one character of ethnicity. You and then, actually and have then not only that, but again, this is delving into maybe something in, within the second book that we should touch on a little, little bit later. But they really glossed over the, the history behind every character. Yeah. And you are automatically supposed to know what the black spot is. I mean, they delve into it a little bit, but not nearly as much as what was going on in the book. Yeah, it's more like an Easter egg than it is a plot point. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So one thing that was really funny, listening to him talk in an interview, he was talking about how Andy Machete would just say random things to evoke different reactions. So when he's driving out of Derry, Machete is like, all right, now you're Ray Liotta. There's a scene in Goodfellas when he's driving and there's a helicopter overhead and it just was so weird. It makes him crack up. And that's actually what they use is him smiling because he's escaping Derry. Oh, nice. And that's the way he got it was that's just awesome. being perplexingly weird, which <laughs> if you know 
the non sequiturs that come out of my mouth. That makes me really oh, happy. Yeah, absolutely. You have Jay Ryan and Jeremy Ray Taylor as Ben Hanscom. I like yours. Your nickname's probably better than mine. <laughs> New kid on the block. Because I was going to go with, kiss me, fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeremy wanted Chris Pratt to play him. And I was like, damn, that's totally so that. good. That's really good. I absolutely. think that's way better. Like, no offense to Jay Ryan. He did a very competent job. But, dude, Chris Pratt could have killed it. For some reason, I also felt like Jay Ryan had something in his throat. Yeah, the entire, dude, What was that right? about? Did you, did you hear that also? Yeah, man. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he was eating Catherine Zeta-Jones' snatch. Okay. Here's the thing. We're also... <laughs> Sorry, that was a Michael Douglas reference. I don't know if you caught that. Yeah, no, I got That's it. That's dark. I got it. Sorry, I feel pretty bad about that one. Not even going to lie. No, you shouldn't. Oh, you shouldn't. shit. He is... Here's the thing. It's a New Zealander portraying an American. Yeah. We're, uh, we're not taking that into account. So for as much as you're like, okay, he's an actor. He should be able to do different accents, this or that. Like, bing, boom, bang, whatever. Big boom, bop. Exactly. Uh, with... Him maybe having like an extremely strong New Zealand accent, he has to have that raspy kind of like frog in his throat voice. Yeah, he's. I don't know. Yeah, he's doing his grown up man voice. Yeah, exactly. Which I also thought kind of worked in a weird way because he's posturing to all of them because he's trying to be like, look, I'm not this fat kid anymore. Like I'm a stud. So I, it didn't really bother me. It wasn't distracting, but definitely he was one of the flatter characters. I think. I think that Mike was flatter than he was, but then I think he was bad because Mike had some interesting stuff when it came to the hallucination, but he just kept repeating himself, which was kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. James Ransone and Jack Dylan Grazer played Eddie Kasparak. Dude, you nailed it with this nickname. <laughs> did I? Did, I did pretty well with the nicknames. You did in this, general, right? Honestly, I feel like, like maybe. Yeah, yeah. You okay. Really did your research, oh, Joe? You, super funny. <laughs> thank Wanna you. Want to say it? Gazebo. So good. <laughs> it's a fucking gazebo. <laughs> what the fuck is this, mom? Yeah. Why are you feeding me this? It's a gazebo. And what's great is he like he says it with such earnesty that it makes it super. Funny. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Immediately after the movie, Michelle was saying gazebo like over and over again. It was amazing. <laughs> So in the new movie, here's my big gripe with him. I like him a lot. One, they're in the Jade Orient, and Bill Hader, Richie Tozier, confronts a kid who he thinks is the embodiment of Pennywise. Right. And the kid turns out to be quoting him, and he's like, well, whatever, I use a writer anyway. And then you have Eddie go, I fucking knew it. How did you know it if you forgot who this person was and that he even existed? Yeah. It kind of drove me crazy. True. That's but true. But when you think about the other ones, like in the book, even they had they referenced that they knew Bill was a writer. There's not they had a connection to him. So whatever. There's, there's weird things that happen within the two movies where I don't know if it's called continuity. I feel like maybe. Oh. Right? Is that what it is yeah. that the term? Oh, I thought right? you were being sarcastic. No, no, I'm I'm serious. I'm like, yeah, I think that's the word. Right when it comes to Bev, for instance. Yeah. So she she doesn't know that it's from Ben, but then she and she thinks it's Bill. So then she asks Bill about January Embers. And, and he's then like, he's like, book? I don't know poetry, bitch. Yeah. And she's like, oh, never mind. And then she finds out that it's Ben. And then in the second one, she's like, it was Bill. And you're like, OK, I get it. They forgot. But if you forgot, then you would have forgotten about the entire thing. Right. But then she immediately goes back and says, oh, my God, it's from Bill. And it's like, no, it's from Ben. We already went over this. They don't do a good enough job of evoking the confusion because in the book, they do a good job of showing how confused they are and trying to recollect in this. It's like, oh, we're just starting with a blank slate and I'm trying to remember, which isn't the case. Right. 
But that's it's so hard to get into a character's head. I think it's bullshit, like the way that Stephen King has attacked The Shining because he's like, oh, it's like a beautiful car without a motor or whatever because you don't get the very cerebral elements of Jack. Well, guess what, fuckface? You're not inside Jack Nicholson's head, so you can't do those acting bits. Nobody that's portraying in this movie as far as a, a, a character is not in your head. Yeah. 100%. As much as you're trying to translate, this is what this story is about. Again, this is somebody else trying to portray your story. And also so get off your fucking pedestal. It's This movie is going to the lowest common denominator. The fact that we've read the book puts us at a separate point. So, but there's enough referential information in this. It's great. Like, for instance, the wax that they use for Georgie's boat in the first one, that gulf wax is the gulf wax from the book. Like, they were Which that is great. specific. Which is great. So you get bo- the best of both worlds. Sure, they're appealing to the lowest common denominator in some areas, but in other areas, they're like, hey, let me just stroke your balls on all, like, our attention to detail. Right, right. And that makes that totally makes sense. And there are some fat trimmings that they completely got rid of that I'm totally happy about. Yeah. Right. I'm really glad I didn't get to see a gangbang. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> don't know how much I can crank that. So Jack wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to play him. I think that's bad casting. I, I'm a really big fan of Jake Gyllenhaal. Hmm. I don't think I, it works. Again, I feel like I lump him with the Christian Bale. I, I just I don't see it. I think if he did like the kind of persona that he did from Nightcrawler where he's twitchy and finicky, but they relied on him too heavily for comedy. I just don't think that would have worked. So when we look at the puke scene which try not to get into too big of spoilers but there's a puke scene and i'll let you know that james ransone almost passed out because he had to hold his breath for so long <laughs> and they actually almost yeah they had to record it twice he thought that he was going to get off once but then bill Hader talked about he was on set in california doing barry and the director sent him a text with the footage and he apparently was dying of <laughs> laughter yeah i believe it that's it's Pretty spot on, right? Yeah. Did you like the fact that they included the in the morning? I hated that. I thought it was like, oh, cool, Deadpool. Yeah, it's whatever. The whole rest of the scene was played too straight for that. Yeah. If you wanted to make it absurd, that's fine. Or do something that's a little bit, I guess, weirder. Like if you look at James Gunn's songs that he chose for like Guardians of the Galaxy 2, they're popular songs, but they're like, left of center enough to where I haven't heard it a lot. Like, right. I've heard that song right, recently right, right. in other films, so maybe just to avoid it. And finally, Andy Bean and Wyatt Olaf as Stanley Uris. Wyatt wanted Joseph Gordon-Levin. I think that's actually really great casting, Le- but Levin. this dude was Levin? good. Levitt. Levitt. Did I say Levin? Levin. Levitt. I love it, Levitt. But yeah, <laughs> I think, Andy I Bean think that would have been really, really good. Yep. Right? With Joseph J-G-L. <laughs> so do you want to do the recapitation? You haven't written out a good one. Every 27 years, an ominous demon. I say demon. I feel like there's multiple. A Wendigo emerges to prey on the, the town of Derry. It's up to the Loser Club to stand up and put a stop to it. To it, capital it, or die trying. There you go. So sticking strictly to the first one. Do you like the first one? Love it. Yeah, I think it's quite good. As far as the narrative goes, I think they did a very effective job of setting forth you know, the rules of what's going on. They set forth a clear narrative. I really like, I think one of the strongest parts of the first one is the motivation to go to the Barons in the first place. Right. They make it very clear with Bill showing his dad yeah, the I love hamster that thing, right? Which is amazing. To and show, also- yeah, just to go back, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, he replicates the sewer system to show that if Georgie was pulled into the sewer, where he would have ended up was likely the Barrens. Right. So he has a tunnel made out of the tubes from the hamster tubes that you 
connect, I guess, to the cage. And he has a little action figure. He puts him into one of the tubes, fills it with water. It dumps down into where he has written down the Barons. Yep. Which is great. And it's cool because it ingrati- everybody is already doing him a favor. So it creates kind of this hierarchy. We're following Bill from the beginning because we're, you know, we're going to try and find Georgie. It's right. not just, oh, we're escaping ours. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing as well is what they did is included the father who is very much an emotional wreck at this moment, having just lost his kid. Yeah. And they don't go into great detail about how much duress his mom and his dad are. It's just like, okay, yes, you need to move on. He's dead. We are very upset. Moving on. It doesn't belabor the point. Yes. You could see them beating a dead horse with it, and that's just not the tone of the movie. The tone of the movie is not mourning. It's about vengeance, kind of. And it's also very much just about the Losers Club. Yeah. Right? So you have other characters that we need to move on to. So So what do you think of the Pennywise scene, the opening of the film? Do you like the Georgie? I do. I do. Absolutely. I, I like that the interaction was very fluid. It didn't seem like there's any kind of head scratching, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm not supposed to talk to strangers. Okay, well, I'm Pennywise the Clown, this or that. Same thing within the original film. Yeah. But the way they remade it was really good. I think, so it was at first critical because Bill Skarsgård doesn't play it very funny. He's creepy instantaneously. But they do a fairly decent job of showing the kind of hypnotic effect he has. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. And again, that's where I was thinking when you said he didn't play into like the comical kind of I'm going to be your friend kind of thing yeah. but then when they start talking about popcorn and the pop 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 that's, super that's where I feel like he kind of won over the kid yeah and then I actually find that Bill does a much better job of balancing the humor in the second one I think he definitely finds his voice a bit but at the same time with the first one I feel like it's more so about the losers club and Pennywise is more or less on the outside and so whereas in the second one you know that it's Pennywise. So they show a, a lot more with Pennywise dealing with other kids. It's also his comeback. Yes. Right? Because they establish him as a viable threat. Like he's a guy who got beaten up by some kids and he's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm actually going to suck the soul out of a gay guy's right, armpit. And you're like, right. whoa. And, and, and again, he is more or less on the outside on the first one, whereas in the second one, he's not even just attempting to attack the Losers Club. He's like, well, this has been 27 years. Now I'm going to go out and attack whatever the fuck I want uh-huh. to, and you're going to see this as an audience. So that allows him to kind of yuck it up a little bit more. Did you notice that Pennywise never blinks in the first one? I did not. I didn't either. I just read that in, in multiple places, so I was like, all right, I'm going to include it. Now, you know how Mr. Skarsgård, if we can, has the like droopy eye, the lazy eye that goes right, the other direction? Right. So A, he can do that on command. Oh, B, wow. Machete wanted that in the casting originally. He was going to do that digitally. And then Bill was like, no, 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 I got this. (laughs) But the reason he wanted it, the methodology behind it is what I found fascinating. The reason he wanted to do it is that one eye would be trained on the actor and one eye would be on the audience. And I was like, holy shit, that's That's so much I didn't even think about that. So next time I watch that, it's something off. That scene, if you you watch it knowing that, you're like, holy fuck, he's looking at me, not at Georgie, I guess. One thing that's really cool as well, and I feel like it plays over into the second one, is if you notice every once in a while, the saliva drip. Yeah. Right? It's very subtle. It doesn't happen all the time. It's not excessive, right? Well, like he's not a blathering idiot. Like he's a creature. Well, yeah. but it's also, it's, it's, he's playing somebody that's portraying a friend, but at the same time, you can see the drip of like he's like salivating for the kid. Yeah. 
right? And then did you notice that the street sign, Jackson and Wickham, is from the book? So I didn't. down to the detail of where the drain is that Georgie gets pulled into, it's very specific. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm very patient when it comes to taking liberties source material when you do it that way. And also, we know this. I'm always huge on consolidation. If you can make something that's long, short, I'm always happy about it. And they yep. did a really good job with this one. I even think there's some fat to trim in the new one. But the kids were so successful on the first one, I understand why they would try and do the retread and get them back on the second one. Right, right. Absolutely. I, I don't think, and this is maybe just me putting myself into Georgie's situation. I feel like I would just die. Like the little kid yeah. got his arm chomped off and then like crawled away. I'm like, no, nah, blood loss. I'm done. I give out. <laughs> Tap out. One of my favorite comics of all time. It's two boxers, and the one dude's like, Kame, ha, may. And the other guy's like, I quit. And it cuts to a press conference afterwards. Like, I don't know if he could, but I ain't going to fuck with it if he did. <laughs> it's like, you're going to get murdered by an interdimensional space clown. Like, I fuck that. No. Right. Yeah. So we'll cut just kind of around. Ben is in the library doing his research. They did a really good job of showing all the stuff that he finds. Did you notice in the background of the scene? There's a smiling old woman no. who gets closer and closer and closer. And it's only when Ben goes to investigate in that little like. Oh, that's so cool. You know, um, what do you call Underground, it? Underground like shelf. Yeah. Right. Then she reverts right back to where she was looking at the stuff. So I like they do a good job in the first I one of showing like, that they have like the people driving by who don't do anything when they're carving up Ben. But to show very good with the thematics of the book, the whole town has been drinking this Kool-Aid. Yep, absolutely. So. I liked that detail quite a bit. Did you notice that the Bradley Gang mural, if you look underneath the car, is a little Mr. Penn E. Wise? No, I didn't notice Super that. Super cool. That's pretty cool. There's a lot of fun stuff in the background of these things that I really enjoyed. Like Bill's wearing a Tracker Brothers shirt. Little, at one point. little Easter eggs. Exactly. Which yeah. is actually from the book. What did you think of the situation where Ben gets his belly cut by Bowers? Okay, first off, we're talking about what the fuck is wrong with Bowers' arms? They like never move. It's so weird. Did I didn't you notice? notice that. Dude, he has like plastic, like I have G.I. Joe arms that do not articulate. It's weird. I don't know. But reading the book beforehand, I was prepared for everything. Yeah. Right. So somebody going into this with fresh pair of eyes and not reading any of this shit might see that and be like, that is some fucked up bullying shit. Otherwise, you're just like, what? That's like, that's fucking nothing. It's yeah. barely scratching the surface. They do a good job of very quickly showing his friends having apprehension and then the scene escalating from there. I like the way that they avoid the intro being overly belabored. Ben falls down the hill. They follow after him. They lose the knife. It becomes important. I have to get my knife back. And then it gives them the space. Right. And then that scene right. just ends. And then you, what's different about that compared to the book and which I really like about them trimming the fat from the book is that it show they talk about Ben staying the night, like overnight being afraid for his life, and he actually falls asleep and then wakes up. I believe it's overnight, unless it's just he falls asleep and then later on that day. Yeah, it's like a nap Okay, the day. so yeah, in the he pipes, just, yeah, he's in some sort of conclave and he is fearing for his fearing for his life, essentially bleeding out and he falls asleep and then wakes up and that's when he runs into the Losers Club. It was effectively dated in 1990. It was effectively dated this way. I had no problems with those. It was interesting. We'll touch back. Remind me to talk about the scar when we get to It Chapter 2. Yeah. There's two mentions of the turtle in the first one. There's I'm one. Super bummed that it's not. 
spoilers. <laughs> My bad. It's a, I mean, it's a spoiler, <laughs> but it's like... <laughs> I'm going to cut all this out. Don't okay. Worry, you're fine. Two mentions the turtle. You have one, which is the turtle in the water when they're swimming. Yep. And then two, the Lego turtle in Georgie's room. And did you notice that there's a globe affixed? So at one of the angles, you can see the globe behind, but it's also on top of the turtle, much like Maturin. Right. And that is from the Dark Tower series. As well as the book, yes. Yeah. Which I is like, super cool. Which you, Stephen King likes to mix this shit together. That's one of the weird things about it is it, it makes sense that it doesn't make sense. Like in rereading The Shining, when it comes to like the shining abilities, how like some of it's precognitive, some of it's telepathic. Right. I like that. I think it's super interesting to have something weird. But also, like, I am the one guy who loves the fucking ending of this book. Like, I think that it's the coolest shit ever. And so many people are like, I hated it. I talked to multiple people who were like, oh, no, that's the worst part of the book. And I'm like, even Chad was like, this sucks. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is the best part. This is the meat and potatoes. When you talk about ending the book, I think of the fucking manhole shooting up a million miles up into the air and then killing people. And then they talk about all of these random people within the town and they give little brief backstories on all these people. I'm like, I don't fucking care about any of you. It's like this doctor that's been a doctor for like over 30 years in the town of Derry and he gets his head blown off by a fucking manhole. And I'm like, okay, and what? I don't count that at all. I also don't count like the, oh, draw, I love you. Let's ride bikes together. Thank I'm so happy God they got gone. rid of that. I'm so happy oh, they got rid of that. Spoiler so alert. Who gives a shit? It's not a spoiler. <laughs> it's, it should be a sigh of relief for anybody. Why they even included her in the beginning of the second one? Yeah. Whatever. So did you notice that when Richie says he's afraid of clowns in the first one, there's a clown behind him? Yeah. Did, did you notice that clown was Bill Skarsgård? No, I didn't. Did you notice that clown is wearing Pogo the Clown's outfit, who you <laughs> might recall as John Wayne Gacy, who I find to be the scariest of all serial killers? Terrifying. Super good job. That's cool. And the other characters on the stage don't interact with him, which implies that he's a hallucination. I love it. Coincidentally enough, when you hung that picture on your garage wall, I thought it was John Wayne Gacy as a child. <laughs> so for those of you who've never seen the studio, I think our Patreon patrons have seen it by now, but there's a fat kid with two like six shooter cap guns. My grandfather-in-law had it in his machine shop, and now I have it, and it's just terrifying, and I love it. He's like fat enough to be Lobster Boy. It's so weird. It's John Wayne Gacy. Sorry. <laughs> Honorarily. Tim Curry. There was a, a nod to him in the first one. There was the dolls. There's a nod for him in the second one, which is in a fun house. It's in the trailer, I think, so you don't have to worry about a spoiler there. Did you like the little... It's a respect thing, yes, I think. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I enjoy it. I think you have to acknowledge it. The guy's a fucking legend. Like That performance is legendary. So to not acknowledge it, it's like an elephant in the room. Like Obviously, Bill Skarsgård is not him. I mean, I personally like him as Nigel Thornberry, but maybe that's just me. Smashing. <laughs> Hello, Hoggy. Have you seen the the my some of my favorite gifts on the internet are characters becoming Nigel Thornberry? Oh, that's amazing. There's a great one where it's Stitch <laughs> from Lilo and Stitch throwing a book at the dude, and after his head reels back, it becomes <laughs> Nigel Thornberry. There's one where it's like Belle from Beauty and the Beast spinning around, and she ends up having his giant schnozzy face. It's so I feel good. like I've seen a meme where they combined the SpongeBob, where it's him like, yeah. doing that, but it's also Nigel. Yeah. So good. <laughs> now let's move on. The werewolf and the mummy forms are in the first one from the book. I thought that was effective. They didn't have to belabor it and have a whole flashback scene right, about it. They didn't right. have to do the whole theater scene, but it was cool. There's the beer bottle that Richie smashes, says Bob Gray's, which is obviously a nod to mm-hmm. the secret identity of Pennywise. He runs into a phone book and 
changes into his Pennywise outfit and comes to save the day. <laughs> and then, did you notice the very end? The order in which these kids leave foreshadows their deaths. I didn't notice that. Stan leaves first, then Eddie. The more you know. It's interesting. Basically, that's the end of the Spoiler. Version. What do you think? <laughs> I think that the first one is very solid. I think that it's effective. It took me by surprise. And I went almost the entire movie without looking at my phone once, which right. for me is a huge accomplishment these days. I feel like the kids... For me personally, I feel like the kids portrayed better than the adults. It just translated better for me compared to from one to two. And I feel like that more or less has to do with us reading the books where you have more of a child's eye or child's point of view within the book than you do as an adult. Yeah. And the director of the 1990 referenced the fact that the kids are instantly more sympathetic than adults. So you already are ingratiated to them in a certain extent. And then the, the adults are in a very weird position because they're like, hazy and not the script and they're also not very likable characters necessarily right. yeah absolutely and essentially with the kids in the first movie they all have their personalities that shine whereas the in the second one and again this has to do with the storyline they're blank slates until they get together and then they slowly come out and that has a lot to credit to the actors themselves portraying yeah. Okay, I, I'm in a I'm in a haze. I'm not really sure who you are, and then all of a sudden I'm gonna crack a joke that only you would get. Whereas in the first one, you automatically understand that these are a core group of friends. Yeah, right. So maybe that per- helps out a lot. And they do it without having like in the first one they have the the rock fight, but it's super quick and yep. it's almost campy. They have like that kind of r- whereas rock what music. it's like two or three chapters in the book. Yeah, yeah. Or like, uh, or chapters that are analogous with yeah. going rocks. And stuff. Yeah. Whereas this, it's just over and done with super quick because they're friends and the, the child actors are so good. Yep, absolutely. The one weird scene is the swimming scene when Bev is like sitting there sunbathing. That was kind of, I feel, supposed to be gross and like a nod to the book where there's like the kind of like, like sexuality. Sexually, yeah, the like kind of leering. Yep. So I thought that was kind of fine. Otherwise, that scene would freak me out. But I was like, okay, I kind of get what they're getting at there. So we can move on. But in the parking lot review, you know, our rating system, I think I've already referenced it, is you pay to watch it in theaters, you buy it, do you rent it, do you steal it, do you skip it? And I don't think that I would buy this movie on its own, but I think I would specifically, as Andy Machete's been campaigning, as a pack, I would buy the supercut, would have this, the next, and other right. stuff that has Absolutely. yet to be built. I mean, I would just, I would watch it as a two pack. For me, yeah. I mean, it's going to happen. I feel like essentially, there's well, yeah. Be a you third. wouldn't watch just this movie, right? No, like, you, absolutely not. Yeah, like when I was a kid, I wouldn't just watch A New Hope. I'd watch a series of them, the whole series within the span of at least like a week. And there's there's a lot of nods to the first one yeah. that you just have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. So with that, we move into it, chapter two. From here on out, spoiler territories. Not sorry about it. We warned you on the <laughs> weekly warm up. We're warning you now. You can come back to it after you've seen the movie. But this is where it comes at. Brian, what did you think of it? Chapter two. I liked it. I liked it a lot yeah. because this goes back to the runtime being almost three butt fucking hours and me not looking at my watch one time while watching it. Yeah. So with that alone tells you that I thoroughly enjoyed it. So this is the problem. I really, really enjoyed most of it. I think they did a very effective job. I leaned over to chat at one point. I said, they have to do something pretty fucked up to make me stop liking this movie. The ending isn't as good plainly but everything else is great the ending like i said of the book is my favorite part of the whole book right all thousand pages or whatever the idea that this idiot richie tozier who's been running this fucking mouth the whole time who's just been this weirdo is the hero 
when yep. you've been setting it up for stuttering Bill to do it is awesome. Yeah. Like it took me by surprise. It was engaging. It was enthralling. Like I'm, I'm sitting there trying to process it. I had a very visual like idea of what was going on. So for the ending, the ending of this one kind of let you down. Yeah. And also I'm a huge Bill Hader fan. We've talked about it a thousand times. So it's like he deserved better in this movie. I think he did a fine job, but it's not what he could have done because I've seen his chops. I mean, he just needed more to do in the movie. You had to have the sacrificial lamb and that just happened to be Eddie. Yeah. So it is what it is. So what do you think of his sexuality changing? You said you were kind of meh about it. I, it just seemed forced to me. I could see that because there's no hint at it in the first one. There's absolutely no hint in the book. There's no... Apparently, there, you know, there's been some debate. that Really? It's, but Stephen King has said it wasn't his intent, but it doesn't offend him. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about this that offends me. Yeah. I just... Nothing naturally came from me thinking, huh, that could be a thing. Yeah, with my view of it, I don't mind it at all. I mean, we had talked about with Eddie Kasparek from the made-for-TV one, the fact that he's a virgin almost implies that he's gay. And in this one, to have another character, specifically his counterpart, be gay, I don't really have a problem with. And at first, I was like, well, I kind of wish they would have had a bigger payoff, right? Like something to show, like maybe he... Maybe his breaking down of his walls and joining the group right, truly right, is right, him right, saying, right. hey, look, this is who I am. But then I was also thinking, like, you don't need to make a big deal about it in 2019. Exactly. exactly. It is just who someone is. And I think that that's almost a statement it's making is that they didn't need to address it in that but way. But at the same time, us saying you don't need to make a big deal about that, people still deal with that all the fucking it's time. fucking crazy, right? Right. So even if it's 2019... I have no idea what the fuck people's thought process of what's going on in their minds when it comes to coming out or the act of doing that. So I couldn't even imagine the amount of pressure. So for somebody, essentially, I feel like that is like his token. Yeah. Right. Is Well, literally his token is the token from that interaction where he makes with the arcade. Exactly. Exactly. He makes an overture to another boy who only shuns him away upon seeing Henry Bowers. They call him the F word and he leaves. That scene is super realistic and tragic. One of the things Bill Hader talked about, what makes it so effective is that's real. You know, yep. I, I was talking about The Shining. The thing that makes The Shining real for me is it's the struggle of a dad who feels inadequate. That's stuff, know, I feel inadequate every day. It's stuff that translates. Exactly. And in this, I'm so sympathetic to that character. In the book, I was so sympathetic to the gay character who gets murdered in the beginning. Oh my God, it's, it's so tragic. It's heartbreaking. It's, Which is surprising i was talking to you about it earlier how fast we were talking about it how quickly things progress within that particular scene oh my god they could have dragged that out so much longer because in the book it's it's torture fucking awful yeah dude right and i went with some friends up the mountain and the first thing that she said was my god that first scene of the movie is horrific and i'm like oh sweet baby child you haven't read the book, have yeah. you? <laughs> but also the same scene with Bev. Like, well, yeah, exactly. We've talked about it. That's Stephen King does a very consistent job of exploiting things that make you uncomfortable. And it's almost hacky to a certain point where it's like, oh, domestic violence. We're just going to keep talking about domestic violence. You're like, God damn it. Please stop. Like it, Salem's Lot, The Shining. It recurs over and over it's again. Essentially the human deprivation. Yeah. Right? And then in, in this movie, you get the effect and you move on because we don't care about Tom Rogan. We care about Pennywise. Exactly. And I think that that helps, especially with me, makes me enjoy it more as a horror film because I don't like confronting those things. Right. If I can avoid it. Right. The world is a super fucked up place. Like this is escapism. Let's enjoy it. With that being said, trimming a lot of the excessive brutality within the first scene, 
I do also like the fact that they kept it very on par with what happened in the book. Yeah. Literally him lifting his arm up and taking a chunk out of his armpit. Which is that super was weird. from the book. Yeah. It's very, very specific because yes. it was so weird the way that they said armpit in the book. Yep. I was like, what the fuck? And I think that it was visually super impressive with the, the balloons falling down. And it was just very like immediately engaging. And I almost wish that Richie was more aware of that. Obviously, there's the nod to it when the character who's been killed passes him a flyer to his own funeral. Right. Paul Bunyan scene. I just wish there was something more there. Not selfishly. Like I said, I I realize he doesn't need to do it. I just wish that Bill Hader got the opportunity to kind of act it out a bit more because I feel like he has the chops to really do it. Maybe there's some of the deleted scenes, but Richie's backstory, I actually think was probably the best of all of them as far as what I enjoyed. I know that it's completely fabricated, but I thought it was way more entertaining and and interesting than the I was a teenage werewolf scene. I also love a nod to Street Fighter because I'm a huge fan of that franchise. And you want to get into the Paul Bunyan stuff? Because Stephen King actually asked them to include that, which I thought was super cool because it's they do a really good job of making it terrifying. Yeah, and it's such a pivotal thing that happens in the book, right? For them to just completely gloss over something like that is really strange. Yeah, and so in this, they have the giant statue. It comes to life. It attacks him. And they do it in a way where the splinters are like just jagged teeth. And I imagine something like that in 3D would be pretty fucking cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the giant teddy bear from Akira. Ah, I can see that. Yeah. And I love the fact that, again, they mix the comedy much better than this, where you have Pennywise floating down on this stupid balloon. And he's like airy. He's almost walking like he's Neil Armstrong on the moon. He's like, I know your secret. And when everybody freezes in the background of that, I mean, that, that's the best stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I and couldn't... that stuff's very subtle, too. Yeah. Like, you're very much focused in on Bill Hader and what he's saying to Pennywise. And then you just happen to look behind him and see everybody just completely still. Yeah. And it's important that that's the last scene that he films in doing this movie because it shows like he has a, a great grasp of the character by that point. Yep. I think it's Absolutely. really cool. Going on, when it comes to the other totems, so for those of you who might need a refresher because you were looking at your phones, Every character goes back and gets a totem. They kind of retcon the original where after Bill punches Richie, they part ways. Everybody gets a thing and they come back and they fight the clown. Right. So after I think is it's the first the first one that comes to mind as far as the token, right, would be Bev in the movie as far as the timeline. I think it's, it's a whole commercial is that. Yeah, right. So Bev goes to her old house, which, OK, this is going back. And I was talking to you about this. This is going back to the first one where. She's fucking wallops her dad in the side of the dome with the top of a toilet. Yep. It shatters all over his head. Yeah. And I'm like, that guy's dead, right? D E D. People have died in a lot sillier ways in movies. Oh, hell yeah. Right. So for him to get just completely fucking walloped on the side of the dome. Tally quacked. Apparently, she was fine. Yeah. Right. She's like, well, I'm going to go live with my aunt and, and everything's all hunky dory. Oh, did you it's like just, that in the end of the first one where they had like the kiss goodbye? I thought that was super cute. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah, it, it was good. Absolutely. It it led you to think that there was going to be something else yeah. going on after the movie ends. Reminds me of the end of Stranger Things 3. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. So did you notice that Mrs. Kirsch's voice when the door is just opening is Bill Skarsgård? No, I didn't notice. Yeah. Dude, all kinds of shit that I missed. Fuck. Well, I, was, I very much studied this one because, and I'll tell you plainly, I thought that this was going to be my movie because I love the turtle stuff. I love the spider stuff. It's so weird. It's so engaging. 
and half of it's gone. <laughs> so, you know, I was very invested in it. It's, I still think it's a super competent movie, but yeah. I really like this part of the movie where it comes to her visiting Mrs. Kirsch. Or as I like to call her, floppy zombie titty lady. Floppy zombie titty lady. I like it. And her father. Father. <laughs> I'm sad that she didn't say that he was she shit. Was she was out, shit. Out of his asshole. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she was birthed out of her father's asshole. And I actually told Michelle this and Danielle and Garrett, and they both looked at me like, the fuck you be talking about? Yeah, I'm like, what? Come on, guys. How about the fact that Bev drinks shit in the book? Yep. That's absolutely. what sewage is. It's like, in this, she just like kind of looks at like, oh, this doesn't taste right. And it's like, no, 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 no. You drank Dookie, girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked that part of the movie. This scene in particular, she's going through the house. She finds the room. She grabs her token, which is hidden behind like the crown molding. Yep. This, is it crown molding on the on the floor? A floor is different mold, and crown is crown is the top. top. Sure. The molding, the molding. So she she rips off the molding. Our carpenter followers are like, God <laughs> damn it! <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like Zed the Destroyer, Zed Zim Zem. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so she finds the love note, right? That January Embus that she thinks is from Bill. So she's like, spoiler oh, alert, brings, it's not brings back all kinds of fun memories, and then. She, as she's leaving, she gets fucking chased, chased by out a by crazy zombie, flappy naked, titty lady. flappy titty lady. It's super creepy. Yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's so funny, though. But it's like, weird because she's like eight feet tall, right? The and her sound titties... was the best part, though, right? The dum 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 Yes, yes, absolutely. And what was really great is the progression of her changing. Oh, yeah. So at first, it's her talking to her, and then she's in the middle of a conversation, and then she stops. Freezes. And then continues on. Oh, yeah. And then after that, she strips off all her clothes and starts fucking dancing around. Twitching, yeah. Right? And then and then she becomes zombie floppy titty lady. So yeah, I, I like that, that there's really already cool. nods to Bob Gray at that part. There's a lot in there. I really, I could totally understand why they practically gave away this whole scene in the trailer. I really wish I hadn't seen it. But of course, I had to make a meme about it. Go back on our Instagram, what, two, three months, and you'll yeah. see my dick butt meme. <laughs> Just kind of gave spoilers away, but you'll enjoy it. So next we go to Bill with the bike, Silver. You get the Stephen King cameo in this. And apparently, so great. King was offered the cameo and he warned Andy Machete, like, I'm a jinx. Like in the box office, every movie I'm in kind of flops. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to break it. And so he wrote the character as this kind of curmudgeon character. He expands on it a bit. There's some like writing. And apparently when they were going to film the scene, James McAvoy looks at the script and he's like, what the fuck happened? Half of his dialogue is gone. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's just a bit part. And so he even talks about how he felt like he was Stephen King's agent. And he was like, no, 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 you're going to give this man these lines. That's awesome. I think I truly think that I might be wrong. I think that when James McAvoy sees Stephen King and he sees that this guy's willing to sign on the dotted line and do a cameo in a movie where he's making fun of himself for not being able to write an ending, that referential, irreverent, almost sacrificial plot point. I think that that evokes a certain sense of like loyalty from McAvoy where he goes to bat. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing too is it goes to show that Stephen King was going to bat with himself, essentially not even going to bat, just bunting with being okay with just doing a few lines here and there. Yeah. He's like, okay, yeah, I mean, I don't want to fuck this up, so I'm going to do this. And then James McAvoy is like, no, no, hold on. This is, this is more so than you you need to do more, yeah. right? Did you notice that the license plate behind Stephen King, CQB241, is the license plate Christine. from Christine? There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Super good. 
and I mean the whole scene is great. I think that the yeah, absolutely. I like the way he basically brings up like, oh, you're some fancy rider, huh? Yeah. So you can afford to buy this bike. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought that he was gonna be like seven thousand dollars, <laughs> but it was good. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because it's a super shitty bike, and that was a nice little bit of humor because even when I was reading the book, you know, they have a whole thing where Mike had bought a like a bike pump set and everything like that before exactly because exactly. of the turtle. I think this is old, was, he asked about he referenced like the old pack of baseball cards you yeah. put in the spokes and stuff like that. So. Especially the 1991 when it was face on cards. <laughs> so then it's Eddie with the inhaler. Well, oh my where God. The, What's so leprosy. great, dude. You have the same pharmacist from the first one. Oh, yeah. As and the, the second one. And, and his the mom, daughter. The mom is the wife. Well, yeah. But and in, in, in this particular scene, you yeah. have and his daughter is like grown up version still in the fucking in the pharmacy which I'm not mistaken that's Barbara Machete I is might, it really I, I might be wrong oh on that, that's awesome it. that's fun I know she had a cameo in it and then somebody else was like walking by in the pharmacy Andy the director he's in the background he's wearing all black that's so it. fun super cool yeah. and then there's also another cameo from a director who's super famous who everybody should know Peter Bogdanovich he directed and I want everybody to take note of this Andy Machete's favorite movie is Paper Moon from 1973 but this is what you need to look up Noises Off, Christopher Reeve, great movie, <laughs> great play, and it's super fun. That's the director in the very beginning, yep, right where down. you briefly see Audra, and you're like, oh, that's his wife, I guess. Yeah, never again. Bye bye, bye bye. So, did you, you know Gilmer del Toro almost had a cameo? Yes, yes. Uh. That's really kind of sad that he didn't. Which it makes sense that I shouldn't say it makes sense, but for somebody like Guillermo del Toro to be a, in a cameo like this, you're like, huh. He, the the director Machete we're we're calling him Machete yeah. Machiati he he has to have some kind of ends with Guillermo del Toro well, they work together on Mama that's yeah. what I was sorry I was getting there sorry I thought you were like <laughs> he must and I thought you like wanted to like draw the pinup board with like the lines <laughs> like what's the link between this man and this man sorry Brian no it's fine whatever shit so Eddie shows up he's like hey I need my medicine the pharmacist does some really fun stuff where he's like touches his face he's like. <laughs> That's cancer. <laughs> nah, it it's not cancer, but it might be cancer. Yeah. And also with how he pervy he is with Bev, you know that finger oh, is dirty. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. She's like, oh, do I look like uh, Clark Kent? And he's like, oh, Lois Lane. Lois Lane. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So then he goes around back, right? And then he sees, which I, I feel like is a fucking Ooh. really great scene. It's, it's scary. It's I was very like, Almost like the edge of my seat. Like, what is going to be behind this curtain? Disease stuff and like exchanging of fluids always kind of freaks me out. Yes, absolutely. I did a really good job and with it. And especially just somebody kind of just, I, it's a weird saying this because it's his mom, but like in a weird BDSM kind of strapped to a chair kind of fashion. Oedipus. I see what you're talking about, dog. <laughs> and you don't know what the Makes fuck's going hungry. on. And then you see the hobo. Well, which, first you see like the, the sheeted figure. The sheeted figure. And but then it's, it's And it's a hobo. Or the leper. Yeah. Apparently, he plays a witch. Also, the same guy that plays that character plays a witch within one of the films too. Which witch? But I don't know which witch they're referring to. <laughs> I don't know either. But that's what I read. Maybe one of our fans could could tell us. Yeah, but, tell me why we're wrong. <laughs> which witch are we witch talking about? So then you have the fun part where it's <laughs> well, it's it's moving the chain. Oh, I like that. Right, and you're just like, oh my god, it's getting closer. It's getting closer. And then the fucking tongue that comes out like two feet out of yeah. its fucking. Well, oh also, you have to talk about the fact that Eddie's a coward. He, yep. leaves, he his leaves his mom. mom. 
Absolutely. That's super intense. And, and it's it, it's really a foreshadow of what kind of character Eddie is. Yeah. Well, right? it, well it's the reverse of a foreshadow. I mean, I guess, yeah, you're right. You're foreshadowing the fact that he's going to be confronted with this opportunity again the next time he does the right thing. Yeah, that's true. There you go. Yep. So then we move on. Did you know that Brandon Crane, the guy who played Ben in the first one, was in the boardroom scene where they were talking about schematics in this new one with Ben when he was wearing like the yoga pants or like the stretchy. Really? Yeah. He, the, the blonde guy who's like upset that the, he wants to change the plans. He played him in the 1990 version. Oh, Kinda interesting. Cool. We're friends on Facebook. No big deal. He probably <laughs> doesn't listen to this show just like 90% of my friends on Facebook, <laughs> according to the stats. Stan, shower cap. Don't have to go into it because Stan's dead. They find it. Whatever. Ben, the yearbook page that Bev signed. Whatever. I love the fact that they reference kiss me, fat boy. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. Whatever. Mike, he gets the bloody rock from the war. I thought that was super cute. It's super cute. It's too well painted, right? And and another thing as well is it just seems like it doesn't show how he got it. It's just like, oh, hey, I found the rock that was in the rock fight. You're like, I'm sorry, what? Did you go to the exact spot and it just so happened to still be there with a red spot on the on the rock? I don't understand. Nothing was even portrayed. It's even weirder than in the first one where he's like, oh, yeah, I got really dark. I was going to kill myself. I went down in the sewers and found a couple of silver pieces. In this one, it's like, I was I just met. I just met you. And, <laughs> and this, this is, is crazy, crazy. But I found a rock and it is bloody. <laughs> I was trying to rhyme there. I couldn't figure it out. So. I guess that kind of gets all of them. What do you think of Henry Bowers in the new one? Actor did a fine job. Yeah. I misinterpreted the beginning when the blood and all the body parts are coming out. I thought that was present day. And I thought that it was regurgitating Henry Bowers as a kid. And yeah, that's why I, he was can, so buff. I can see that. I, I think that'd that would be really interesting to try the visual cue of, you know, I guess the vitality of youth versus they're not old people, but they're older. Right, people. right, right. They're not battle ready. I and think that would have been fun. I also feel like a lot of that has changed from the book yeah. to the movie, right? And for them to go into the second part of the movie or the second movie, I should say, instead of the second part of the movie, and you have him just immediately just getting arrested as a kid and then you're like, huh. Because again, this is like two years ago when the first one came out. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, fuck, yeah, dude. He totally took a knife to his dad's neck, right? I get it. completely forgot about that. So I, for the most part, enjoyed his character. They don't go into a lot of detail about why he's such a fucked up character compared to the book. Like they don't even remotely talk about the fucking Dog fridge. Murder. Oh yeah, well that's a different kid. That's is uh, that Patrick. is that the different kid? That's Hofstetter. Yeah. Oh, okay. it, Bowers does kill the dog, but it's Mike's dog. Remember? Right. That's right. That's right. God, that fridge though. That's fucking terrifying. But I love that he gets his comeuppance with the weird bug things. Yes. One thing that I think needs to be addressed: he is not in fighting shape. No. You look at that guy. No. He needed the Linda, Linda Hamilton scene from T2 yeah. where he's doing pull-ups, right? <laughs> How about the preview for the next one, though? Dude, I'm all about it. People yeah. can shut the fuck up. Like, what the fuck do you expect, man? Dude, her she's got that raspy voice dude, going on, man. you know that lady's been celibate for 15 years? Really? Yeah, dude. Good for her. Huh. That's what she wants. She said it just doesn't matter to her. It doesn't huh? matter to my wife either, but she still puts up with it. <laughs> hey, yo. He got him. <sighs> Notice the kid's skateboard had the shining pattern on it? No, I didn't. Eh, it's boring. <laughs> the clowns in the funhouse are him. Stan's severed head in the fridge. It's a reference to 1991 with the guy who was like, beep, beep, Richie. There's a lot of stuff that carried over from the first one. The yep. whole the whole fridge, right? The Pennywise unfolding himself from the fridge. Somebody in being in the fridge in the second one. 
You have the doors, the multiple doors. Scary, not so scary. Did you catch the nod to the first one and this one? So in the, what is it, not scary at all, when they open it, in the first one, it's a woman's arms woman, and torso. Yes. In the second one, it's, it's just, just her legs. A, it's just the legs. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah, absolutely. The and Pomeranian thing. For some reason, hilarious. That, it was hilarious. I just didn't see a reference to anything else. I was <laughs> like, because remember, they said in the second one, oh, I'm not falling for that this time, motherfucker. Like, they... There was a reference to like maybe a dog in the first one that I missed or something. That in ended- the movie they reference it like it could have been a little Pomeranian. Oh, okay, so, yeah. maybe I maybe I missed. So then that. it actually is a Pomeranian, and then it's a weird werewolf creature kind uh, of thing. That which was, that was fun. fun. That I kind of wished it was. Ju- I mean, I really love that design. You know what Super it reminded cool. me of is Courage, Courage Cowardly Dog. Oh, you know, you know in the fucking dog, like oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. That I love that show. <laughs> Eustace when he'd pull out his giant mask yep, was like absolutely, super fun. Absolutely. Yeah, but what I was saying is I kind of wish I love the design of it, but I kind of wish that they would have done the werewolf reference there. Because oh yeah. Who does it reveal itself to? Richie. Beep beep. That makes sense. And what else do we have? The here's Johnny reference by Bowers is obviously a nod to The Shining, which I thought was kind of fun. But when Bill's typing at the end, it actually is dialogue from the book, from the scene where Eddie's mom is like, get away from him, you slutty butts. Right, right. I like, you said you don't like the ending. I enjoy it. The one thing that I don't understand really when it comes to Pennywise, a creature that is fighting off the Losers Club, obviously I understand, sorry, he could kill them at any particular time and this movie would be literally 20 minutes long. But there, I feel like there's multiple instances where he's just this giant, powerful creature yeah. that could just fucking destroy them instantly, and they, he just doesn't. So I, in the book, they justify that very specifically. He likes the taste of fear. In this, it makes sense. He's building them up. I don't mind the fact he doesn't kill them. I mind how they beat him. Reason being, if they're just taunting him, and he, it's not that he needs their fear as sustenance. He wants their fear as flavor, and then he wants to devour them. Right. Right. So the idea that he withers away simply upon being mocked, I don't know. Well, really like essentially, that. the way I look at it is that his his own fear is devouring himself. I could see. So that. he is not essentially making himself bigger by having other people be afraid. They are taunting him and jab and jabbing him, yeah. and he is essentially becoming afraid for himself, and that makes him smaller. Well, also, I think people need to realize it's a visualization. He's not really that big, right? You know, it's a persona that he's putting on in this movie it seems very clear in that capacity that it's not really that size sure he does do some damage to the rock walls and stuff but the idea i think is that he's a shapeshifter and it's fake because when he gets that diminutive size and he's like withering away and he's like you grew up i actually thought that was really a a fun visual cue i just wish they got there a little bit differently yeah because it just it wasn't a one-to-one ratio to me like i get what you're saying as far as his fear eating him but I wish they would have done something to justify that a little bit more. Yeah, um, I can see that. And Richie, I mean, he deserved better. I th- especially when he turns around and he's like, Burr, I was like, oh, <laughs> sick. Or, you know, it's funny because I talked with Chad about it where I was like, I, I hated the cop out in Doctor Strange where it's like, ah, Dormammu, I've come to bargain. And they don't really battle, but it's just like psycho thing. Yeah. I loved it in the book. And so I was really expecting like a flying through the cosmos right, and then right. something because the ritual of Chewed is so fascinating to me. And, then, and I was just going to bring that up. What do you think about how Mike just basically randomly came across this artifact that he stole and then was like, okay, well, I did a lot of research because I'm a librarian and this is what I do and this is what you're supposed to do, the yada yada. I, met, I may have skipped the fact that everybody died in the original, but 
it just seemed like they could have expanded on that a little bit more. But also, this is a movie that's almost three hours long. So you're like, at what point do you skip something else and go into more detail of, of what they actually need to do? Because then you can include the motherfucking turtle. Yeah. My thing is, my answer is two part. One, I think that it's fine. I don't mind it for the end. When they realize that everybody died and when you realize specifically that Rishi is aware of the fact that he was scraping off the leather to hide the fact of what happened, I think that's a cool reveal. I just wish there was a consequence to it. And then two, when it comes to the turtle, they could have done the turtle in a lot of ways in, a, in just a mental image. You're right. And that's the Absolutely. It doesn't have to be as overt as talking and having a discussion about them. It could just be this ethereal idea. I was I was hoping that it would have been something like you see a comet here and then you see a comet here. There are two entities that come to Earth, right? And then oh, you can say, fair. okay, well, there's two things that happen. We've only seen Pennywise. What the fuck is this other thing? Oh, shit. Here's a mental image in our, in our brains of yeah. the turtle, right? Even though it's a variation of the book, I do think that's a good idea. Because in the book, I mean, he's obviously just across the cosmos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But also the book is weird because he's like choked on his own cosmic vomit and stuff, which is just odd. But yeah, to your point, I would have liked to see the turtle a lot. I think that's something that is super interesting and fun. And honestly, like, if you're already that invested in the fucking book and the movie and you got there, it seems that the director really wanted to do the turtle, hence the cues in the first one. And I, t- I took for granted that, oh, for sure we're going to see it given those Right, hints. right, right. And the fact that it didn't happen, I was a little it sour about. It just seems about, like but. there's, it's, it's strange that there are nods to certain things, but not something as monumental as that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think that it's overall, it's very effective. I can't wait to watch it again and kind of get a second vibe for it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that I might have been overly critical. Like, I think that in the parking lot review, I came off as really negative, but the movie is good. Like, I like the way they staggered it and get, because it comes across almost like a horror anthology with each right. person getting their own clip. And it makes it move. It, each part has a little like minor climax and minor resolution so and that you're interested throughout. A lot like the books that I enjoy reading with these major epic fantasy books. Some books are specifically on certain characters. Yeah. And you're talking like six, seven, eight characters deep. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? I hate this character. I'm spending like seven, eight hundred pages reading something about this person that I don't even enjoy. So... In that aspect, I enjoyed this movie where you had different minute details and different storylines within that main story. Right. Absolutely. So So with regard to it chapter two, same kind of opinion. We would both agree on buying a Blu-ray with both of them with Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. All right. And how do you think it was overall as a viewing experience to the uninitiated? It's worth it, right? It's a fun experience. I think that overall, it's very effective, and I'm very pleased with how they did it. Yes. The fact that he didn't go all the way weird, he still went weird, and I think that's a very brave choice in today's lowest common denominator type movies. Right, right. And if anything, I hope this helps people delve into Stephen King's work, right? And even though there are some who like really awful nasty parts of the book that I don't recommend people ever reading. Yeah. As a whole, I feel like it was a great book. So hopefully more people delve into it. I could not fathomably agree more. So as we wind down, I just want to say to everybody, thank you so much for your continued patronage of the show. Whether you're a patron or you're just a listener, not to say just a listener, but you know what we mean. <laughs> just a lowly listener. Oh, uh, you peon. Or you were a awesome patron. No, just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> To correct myself, if you're a butt-fucking awesome listener or a butt-fuckinger awesome patron, is that better? There you go. Either which way. Thank you for listening to the show. You know, It means the world to us that you're even being involved. If you're willing to leave a review, recommend us to a friend that helps a lot. 
you know, the fact is, is that with all of us having a very busy schedule and, and real life, this is something that we love and it's a passion project, but just it helps justify and also helps us get out of debt because yeah. we're still a bit left. But we, you know, the more opportunities we have, the more we're going to be breaking down walls and doing new things. For instance, we're going to be the premier podcast of Shriekfest coming up. We have some screaming, <laughs> screaming. We have some screenings <laughs> lined up. I feel like screaming should work. It also has work, doesn't it? So we have a lot of fun opportunities and we only have those because of the ambition that's given us because of the confidence that we have because of the fans that we have who are so outspoken. So, you know, given how outspoken you are, please, if you know anybody who likes horror, let them know. The fact is you probably don't know have anybody who likes horror, which is why you're listening to us who barely found each other to listen to talk about horror. <laughs> Plus, I get to see this stud muffin once a week. So. Exactly. Isn't that the best? Yeah. So, I mean... Honestly, and we have so many fans who have podcasts of their own. And the fact that you would listen to us when you have your own shit to handle and your own things, like it's awesome. We've talked very often about how podcast is very often a second choice media where it's like my first choice would be not sitting in traffic and watching a movie on my TV. Right. But my second choice is listening to you guys talk about the movie I would have watched. So, you know, thank you once again. It means the world to us. If you have any recommendations on the show, please reach out to us, slasherspot at gmail.com. If you have any recommendations for future episodes, whether it's a film or a concept you'd like to report. Instagram, Facebook, Brian Slasher or Jake Slasher or producer Chad Chad or Jim Jim Turn Slashers or just our Slashers podcast page. Which is super fun. We're trying to develop it more. Facebook is really weird about us adding people to the Mutant Goons from Beyond group. So just ask us and we'll accept your invite. Because if I invite people to my own group, it's, it's like, really you can't strange. do that. It's like, really strange. Fuck off, Zuckerberg. Suck five dicks. <laughs> so anyway, is that time? I think so. If you ain't watching or reading them dying, you ain't really trying. And for Brian, for Chad, wherever he is, for Jim Turn, <laughs> my name is Jake. Reminding you to go out there and do something you love. And remember that all work and no power play makes Jack a dull boy. Dup, <laughs> Beep, beep. I'm tired. After two It episodes in two months, and editing two It episodes in two months, Jakey needs a nappy nap, if you know what I'm saying. And you know what I'm going to do to get me woken up from that nap when I have to confront the demons of my real life? I'm going to listen to our friends at Moon Tooth with their song, Trust. I've tried saying that a couple times, and I just mumble and mush it up with my dumb mouth. They have some great shows coming up. Did you know that? October 16th, they're playing at St. Vitus Bar, which if you know your weird talk shows, that's where Two Minutes to Late Night records their shows. On October 17th, they're at Fusebox. 18th, The Anchor. 20th, Geno's Rock Club. 21st, The Ohm. 22nd, Ralph's Diner. And 23rd, Your Mom's Butthole. Just, I took some liberties there. I hope they don't mind. Anyway, enjoy Moontooth with their song, Trust. Mm-hmm.